Welcome to The Art of Growth. This is Jim Zartman, and today Joel and I are responding to Type 9s who called in to be a part of the series on being a student of your story, where we ask people if they could go back to one moment in their history, what moment would they go back to and why? And with the 9s, we certainly saw a theme. So I'm guessing some other 9s out there who listen to this, you you may resonate with a couple of these stories and we actually had several other call-ins that were very similar to these stories. So that was something interesting that we want to learn more from. And we did learn more from by listening to the nines as we always do uh, with The Art of Growth as we want to hear stories and learn from them. So my friends, the hub of all of our work is theartofgrowth.org. You can go on there to sign up for upcoming group coaching sessions where we come together as a group to learn together. We now offer six-session coaching packages on our website at theartofgrowth.org. And so you can go there and check all that out as well as take free Enneagram test or instincts test. As the, those have become really important for people's journeys. But for right now, let's go ahead and listen to the first caller from the nines who called in to share about being a student of their story. My name's Melissa. I'm an Enneagram 9. And at this point in my life, I would actually really like to go back to this one conversation that I had with my dad when I was in my 20s, probably 20 or 21. I was living on my own. Things were kind of hard. I didn't have money. I was not in school. I didn't have a stable job or friends I could rely on. And I did not know what I wanted to do with my life. But I was happy. Life was an adventure, even though it was hard. And I kept a smile on my face and I lived in the moment. And I remember one time I came home for Christmas and my dad, I was laughing about something and he just shook his head and he said, wow, you have a charmed life. And I had no idea what he meant by that. And I just kind of was stunned. And then I didn't say anything, but I wish I had said something. I wish... I wish I'd said, actually, my life is really hard right now and I'm just choosing to be happy, but maybe we can talk about it. I wish I'd said something like that because my dad in Enneagram 3 is very achievement-driven and me being a nine, I guess, I really admired that and I always wanted to impress him. So I didn't come to my dad with my problems because I didn't want him to think badly of me. I feel like that has always affected our relationship, that we haven't ever been real with each other. And I know that he he has a lot of heart. And it's obvious that it's the motivator of everything he does. He's very charismatic, very charming. And you can rely on him. If you ask him to do something at 2 in the morning, he'll get up and do it right away. He won't ask why. He'll just do it. But there's still this part that of me that I feel like he doesn't see and he might never see because I never invited him to. Oh, Melissa, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, touched my heart. What a beautiful, heartfelt, beautiful in the sense that it has the richness of the sadness, the desire, the hope. You know, all of that in there. Yeah, I, uh, it's the, not uncommon at all for nines to feel that in relationships where 
you know, your story is very telling of what it is that a lot of nines, you know, go through. And and it's very helpful for us to understand that, that there's, uh, you know, at one level, like, I don't want to burden you with mm-hmm. my pain, with my sadness, with my struggle. And so instead I bring optimism, I bring positivity to the conversation. But then it leaves me feeling like you don't actually know what's going on in me. And you don't know the struggle that I have. So I feel... I feel unseen. So there's this relationship that is apparently a good relationship between mm-hmm. the the two of you, and that's that's you know wonderful. Um, but there's a depth at which you'd like to go, and maybe he would like to go. Who knows? But but yeah, that's that's the big one. It's I'd like to get there. Um, and if I could go back to that, I would. I would, and yeah. I would want to say, can we have a conversation? Can we go deeper? Can we be more real with each other? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't have the time concept as far as like how much time has passed yeah. since she was 20 and wishing that she could say, you know, it's hard, but I'm happy. I'm figuring life out. And the thing is when you get a response sometimes and you don't have that kind of interaction or you don't feel safe having that kind of interaction, then you're left with your interpretations. Like, well, what mm. did he mean by like, you have a charmed life? Mm. Like, I don't know what that meant. Yeah, Is yeah. that kind of like a... Uh, a dismissive statement that's um she's you know speaks very highly of him she obviously is close to him cares about him like but did that feel like a dismissive statement is there a thing where he feels like i i wish i could take time in my life and just chill and not be constantly going at it all the time i could hear that oh yeah um i could interpret it in a lot of different ways but that's the problem is when we don't have some of these conversations we're left with these interpretations Mm. and that's the only thing we have. And so then our stories are like stuck in this interpretive grid that always tell the story that confirms our type. And that story is an endless one because it's always being retold until it finally is embodied, enfleshed. It gets out of our system and into the real world, which is the real conversation that we should be having with people. You know, and I say that not, not to say that's what you should do, but to say like, I'm reflecting on my own stories and how many times I have not had a conversation that I needed to have. And because of that, it stays alive inside you. And once the conversation is had, even if it's difficult, it tends to bring a resolve to that. And it tends mm-hmm. to, it ends. The cycle, the spin, the, the wonderments, all that comes to an end and we can move on, you know. And how many people have you talked to who uh, like had to steal themselves for a conversation. They did all this prep. They did all this mental rehearsal yeah. of a conversation. They actually had the conversation. It wasn't nearly as eventful. Right. It went way better than they thought. None of the things they've been concerned about actually like were part of it. Yeah. And go, oh, geez, I wasted so much energy. Yeah. For something that turned out to be a lot smaller than I thought. Yeah. And that happens, but because that's the thing is the size that a story can take up um, and that it can feel so defining can be really painful and it really can stay with us. And this is something that I've I've heard from a lot of nines where it's just kind of like, I wish I would have been able to say something, had this conversation, but they'll use language like, but in this kind of situation, it feels like the words fall out of my head. Yeah. Or, you know, the as far as the fight, flight, freeze, it's the freeze mechanism yeah. that comes in where it's just like, I feel paralyzed. I don't know what to say. Which is why for the nine, that return is so important. Because if not, the return is all internal. And 
as an action-oriented body type, it tends to haunt you until you take that action. Yeah. Until you go into that moment and actually say, well, like, what did you mean by this when we had this conversation? You know, I know this is really overdue. I know this was a long time ago, but I've just always kind of wondered what that meant. Because if we don't ask the person what they meant, we're limited by our our own interpretation, which again, it confirms our type. It confirms what we already believe about ourselves in the world. And we just don't know. So yeah. we're like living in the ambiguity of that. And yeah. that's painful. Yeah, and I heard a little bit of something. And, and um, you know, uh, again, this is just without being able to have a conversation with you, Melissa. I, I, I don't know if this is um, what really was going on behind the scenes but or underneath for you. But there's a you desired for him to be proud of you. You wanted him to mm. see that it's not just luck. It's not just that you're charmed. It's that you've taken action, you've taken steps to do things. And then you look at his life and you realize like as a three, that's a lot of what he does is take action, take steps, keep moving. There's a lot of intentionality there. And you were hoping that he would see that you've also done some of that for yourself. And he didn't seem to see that. And that's, yeah, that's that's sad. And you wanted to have more of that, uh, that deeper conversation so that you... You want to find out if he does actually see you. Does he yeah. see that? Does he see what you've done? And you can hear in the nine, which is something we see a lot, which is this belief that I would be better if I was more like this other type. Mm. You know, if I was more like one of these more assertive types. Because you can sit back, generally good to do whatever. You know, you're not going to probably set the agenda as much, but you're content in going along and doing something that. It, is set for you. And that's, there's not like something wrong with that. If the entire world was constantly setting their own agenda and I have to do this, that'd be hard. (laughs) Well, plus you see that the gift of the nine is their ability to get inside the skin of another person and see their value Mm. there. That's the the sort of like higher, like mutual regard and respect. Mm -hmm. Like I can see your perspective and I can see its worth. Yeah. And if you can, that's great. The thing is that for nine, they can do that with every other type, yes. except for oftentimes themselves. And so it's easy for them to lose themselves in believing that the type eight is a better, or a type three is a better, or a right. type seven is better, or, you know. So absolutely, yeah. Yeah. It's important that the nine, you know, reminds themselves that different than is not less than, because being able to see the value in every other type. It is for it is easy to forget mm. the the self forgetting mechanism can get applied to your own value mm. to your own capacity to be with another. But Melissa, nobody listening to your story wouldn't want to be around you. Oh gosh, no! I mean, just really so sweet. I, and yeah, like you said, you're like this is the type and, of nine. Yeah, I just yeah. want to give a big hug to because you yeah. just instantly know, like, oh, you. Yeah. You have a heart of gold. Yeah. And appreciate it. And I just want, yeah. And I, you know, I want to fight for you in some sense. I always do this Mm. for, I always feel that for nines. Like, you know, I want to fight for your heart, the Mm. part of you that wants to be seen, you know, and wants to know that you have worth, wants to know that you matter and that your efforts matter. And there's only one way there. And it's, you have to advocate for your heart. You know, you have to, you have to fight for your own heart center. Hi there, my name is Joanne. I'm a self-preservation 
type nine, I'm automatically thinking if I could go back to a moment in time to give me the opportunity to change it, which I've just realised is actually not quite the question. I would go back to when I was 16 and I would make a different decision as it was being a type nine, but my father decided I would go to business school. I had no idea what I wanted or who I was in the world. Uh, So I went along with it. I just knew that I hated where I was at. So I would change that decision. I would do maybe psychology or humanities or philosophy or possibly even art, Um, although I had no idea about that at that stage. And that would have completely changed the course of my life. Um, As it was, I spent the next 20 years or so like looking for my path and ironically trying to help others find their path as well. And finally, when I was about 40, um, eventually moved into coaching, which has been absolutely wonderful and the start of a whole new set of growth. But if I was back at then, would I actually change that decision? And I probably wouldn't. I've got two beautiful children. I wish I could have both, of course, the beautiful kids, and perhaps have started so much earlier and avoided a whole just stack of pain. But I guess that also would mean that I wouldn't have had the lived experience that I have. So this is how things are. Uh, Thank you for asking. Yeah, thank you so much, Joanne. This is a game that I have played occasionally, which is if I could redo the past. I think it's also why I'm hooked to any sci-fi movie that has the character going back into the past and altering it in some sense. Mm -hmm. And, of course, all of the results from that, the cascading effects from having changed one thing. But from a deeper, more spiritual sense is that I am also aware that the path is the path and it took me down this road and I needed and you needed and we needed to do the things that we did in order to get to where we are today. And yet at the same time, when we coach people, we hope to help them to learn perhaps more quickly, perhaps Mm. to not fight the certain changes internally that are moving us towards a new direction we try to help people to 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 do that to understand what the fight is and not to stay too long in a particular stage of development or stay too long stuck so i understand all of that and that's a lot of what we do in coaching and look you started coaching you're doing that you love it and that is wonderful and i don't know that you may have gotten to the point where you finally said, enough of this, this is what I want to do, right? Mm. That takes sometimes doing the wrong thing, quote unquote. Yeah, quote unquote. Right? In order to finally get to a point where you advocate for the thing that really is on your heart to do. It's interesting because you hear with nine so often this sort of this dichotomy of you know, wanting to kind of go along with the flow and kind of being okay with anything. Uh, but I really wish I knew what I wanted and assertive because mm. I would have done this. But if I went back and did it again, would I have done it differently? No, I would have done the same thing. But I wish I could have both ways, you know. So 
both yeah. of those things were coming up in the story is this kind of this desire and this to to have a sense of what I want and to be able to pursue it and also this but I'm in this situation and I would I don't know that I necessarily would have done something different because there were good things that came out of it it's like that wanting to see from all sides thing that multiple perspectives thing that mm-hmm. we have within the nines so often demonstrate is that they can see from all these different sides but I'm not sure I've ever heard so clearly a nine do it uh, in the past tense. You know, I've seen nines do it a lot of times, like kind of looking forward with the multiple perspectives or in this current situation. But kind of like I even got all these multiple perspectives and multiple when I look backwards, and that was that's really interesting because I'm like, okay, well, what else? What is else is there to mine right there? So what do you do with that? What do you do with? Okay, but you. You do have both mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. You've pulled both into the present. Well, and also, what is the compromise in the past? The compromise for a nine is, uh, I want to matter, and I want my work to matter, but at the same time, I don't want conflict. I don't want disruption. Mm. I don't want disconnection from people. And those two are at conflict with each other. Because yeah. if you do what matters, if your work matters, then... Well, what does that mean? Well, you have to know what it is that you want to put out into the world. Right. You know, if what you're doing is just in order to get somebody to to be happy with you, then you're always waiting for your work to matter because someone told you it mattered. Yeah. But if you want your work to matter because not only do people like it, but you like it. So it really deeply matters to you. And you matter to people. Mm-hmm. Well, then that requires some level of disruption, some level of yeah. conflict. And so that's always going to be at odds for nine, just like every type has one of those. Every type has this thing of where it's like, there are two forces that are competing internally. And on any given day, I can give in to one or the other. Yeah. And at the higher levels, there's an integration of both. And I was talking to a nine the other day who said, I have finally learned and I'm living this out, that in order for me to get to peace, I have to cross the bridge of conflict. Or perceived conflict. So I Which want, it never is even as bad as it is. Yeah, <laughs> but I think it's even perceived con- yeah. conflict in regards to like, yeah, you know, I, I don't know Joanne's dad or the story where he was saying, you should do this. Was it yeah. doing because I don't know what to do? But if you would have said, actually, I do know what I want to do, and I want to do this, and I want to go into this field, and I want to study this, would he have been like, no, you need to study business and you go acquiesce to it? Or would he have been like, great, if you know what you want, then great. Yeah. If you don't know what you want, I'll put you on a path that sets you up for success yeah. so that you yeah. can do something later. So I think there's a perceived conflict even more so than there is. So, you know, take every nine out there who's ever been in a situation where they didn't know what to do and someone told them. If they would have said, no, I want to do this, a lot of the time people would have been like, great. There's no conflict. The only conflict was internal because you had to admit it to yourself. Yeah. It was internal disruption more than it was any kind of an external disruption. Yeah. I laugh because it's this is probably one of the things that's you know run in my life for years. Being an assertive type, if someone says, what do you think I should do? And I have an answer, I'm going to tell you. Right. <laughs> Why wouldn't I? You asked. Right, right you asked. <laughs> so, or, or if you seem directionless, uh, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give direction. Yeah. It's, not, it's not all that difficult for me to do that. It's not, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't always know. I certainly don't always have an answer. But 
Many times I do, and and so I did. And I would find people just be like, come back and be angry with me because <laughs> they, I told them what they should do with their lives. They went and did some things. Yes. It didn't work out, and now they're pissed at me. And it's like, wait, you <laughs> took the action. Didn't you own right. it? You know, like, if, this isn't me. I'm just doing what I I'm was just told. doing what I'm told. Like, right. This is just, if you were asking for direction, I'm giving you direction. Mm-hmm. But I want you to wrestle with it to know, is this the right thing for me? Right. And in the end, if you choose a different path, good for you. Good for you. Right. Yeah. I heard an eight leader actually say this. They said, if you have a vision, great, run with it. If you don't, I'll give you one. Yeah. And I was like, that's exactly spelled out perfectly. I mean, that's <laughs> like my life. It's like, if you don't, if you know, great. How do I help? Right, right, right. How, how do I empower yeah. you to do yeah. the thing you want to do? If you don't know, I'll I'll give you a task list. Sure, that's easy for me because I'm always thinking in terms of that. Yeah. But it's like eventually you have to own it. And for some people, they're fine. They're like, yeah, give me a task list. And yeah. for some people are like, yeah. no, don't, don't you dare. Well, it's just like, well, then say what you want to do. Right. Right. So it's like, it's, it's gonna, always going to be one or the other. And one is not superior to the other. Not at all. It's just a part of the process. I'm so glad you said one is not superior to the other. That is absolutely the truth. A um, non-assertive in the triads of of the Enneagram Mm -hmm. can lead at the highest levels and can lead assertive types. That is absolutely the case. We see this all the time. And they can do so highly in, in a way that's very effective. Yeah. So this is not about nines need to be told what to do, nines need to be guided. No, no. But oftentimes, a nine is taking in a lot of data and they're Mm -hmm. taking in your opinions, your views. I'm looking, I'm actually paying attention to that, understanding that I want to see it from your perspective. And we always say this about nines, the nine then has to return home. What Mm -hmm. do I think? What do I feel? What do I want? Because I'm part of that conversation. Like, I'm not just the mediator between other people. I'm not the harmonizer between other people. I'm also the harmonizer of me and other people, Mm -hmm. right? And so, when a nine's doing that, they're bringing in their thoughts, their feelings, and it's interacting, and it's happening live. It's happening, not maybe not suddenly in that in that specific moment, because sometimes nines need to pull away and think and and reflect. But it's happening within the 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 present time frame. And I think that that's a, a key uh, piece for, for a lot of nines. So Yes. And along <laughs> those lines, when someone gives you something like this, you should do this. Think of it not as direction, but invitation. Because you can say yes or no to an invitation. Mm. If you feel like it's direction, then it's going to be a conflict because it's something that I have to then combat or I have to come back against. Yeah. But if you look at it as an invitation, you, you go, do I want to go to that party? Just always, it's just an invitation to a party. Yeah. And do I want to go? Yeah. Okay. Then you can actually start to decide whether or not to respond. And what you're saying about can lead at any level. I know that when non-assertive types led me, if they didn't have this kind of a framework, which the ones didn't, they did find it exhausting sure. to lead more assertive types oh, yeah. sometimes. Sure. But if you actually understand like who you are and who they are, there's absolutely no reason you can not lead at the highest level. In fact, I'm obsessed with this idea right now. I've been writing about it. I've been recording videos on yeah, it. All have. this stuff is coming yeah. out, like will come out at some point. Because I want to advocate for every single kind of leader mm. that anyone from their type, anyone can lead at any level if you become the version of you. Because leadership is not a set 
version, you know, a set of characteristics. It is who are you as a leader? Yeah. Not being like someone else. And I want to advocate for this all over the place because I, I just, it frustrates me so much that we so limit like who is thought of as a leader based on characteristics of being more assertive or something like that. Um, but some of the people who have led me the best have not been assertive types. Me too. You know, they, they're yeah. people who were, they were very invitational. Yeah. And I think, especially for nines, if you can look at what you perceive as direction, as invitation, and then respond accordingly, it's going to go off further. Yeah. So back to what you were saying, Joanne, I think that your illustration of your life is the illustration of the sort of vice to virtue conversion. That's um, it's one of the models in the Enneagram. So each type has the sort of core vice, which is a uh, which is the condition of the heart when it feels like it has been separated from love, from mm. source, from life. And so for the for the nine, it's called sloth. But sloth is not laziness. Sloth yeah. is the is the heart center slowing down, falling asleep to itself, not being awake. And when it's not awake to itself, then it's susceptible to being pulled in different direction from other people's agendas. Yeah. When it's awakened to itself, it has desire. It has drive. It has things it wants. And so because of that, it moves the nine towards right action. Yep. And so that's the way we use the, the vice to virtue conversion is when the heart wakes up, which is an act of talking to your heart center. What do you desire? What do you want? Mm -hmm. You know, what do you feel? Then it helps the nine move to right action, which is what you've done, Joanne. Yeah. You've moved to right action. Yeah. And I love that. And I celebrate that. It, it, it takes us all a while. I mean, my gosh, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I feel like it, <laughs> I'm just now finally finding what it is that I'm, you know, what I really want to do in life. So. Yeah. And I just feel like so much of what so many of us want to do is always in flux. You know, oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. we and a lot Changes. of us can be interested in many things. A lot of us can go down a lot of rabbit holes and you know, and that's fine too. We we did this on the purpose trap, this kind of narrative around you have to find your one thing and then pursue it the rest of your life. Like I just yeah, some people are like that. There's there's a guy in this building who's been over right across the hall from me. He's been in here as a potter for 40 years. And it doesn't matter what time of day I've been here, whether it was six AM or eleven at night, he's like here. Because oh he gosh. just thinks this is my one thing. This is what you do. You have one thing in life and you do it forever. I think that is an exception. It is extremely rare. Most of us are going to move through a lot of different things. Mm. And that is not a problem. And there is not something wrong if you've done 50 different things. Mm. And if you're telling yourself, well, there's something wrong with me. I just need to figure out what I really want. No, no. Just relax. Like ease into the fact that Whatever you're doing now, that's okay. If later you want to do something else, that's okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. It's fine. We are ever waking up. This is, a, and it's a conversation with reality because that's part of what happens is, oh, I'm coaching and I love coaching, but there'll be something that'll shift internally. And if I don't, if I don't pay attention to that and I resist that, then I atrophy. But if you stay yeah. as a nine and you stay in that place of, Okay, I'm paying attention to my heart. I'm noticing that I'm starting to feel resentful that I'm not mm. being seen. 
Wow. Okay, pay attention because mm. that's good knowledge. That's good data. Yeah. And it's pointing to that your heart is saying it wants something that yeah. may not shift or it may shift what you do in your career. So, yeah. Good. Thank you, Joanne. Hey, listeners, Hillary here. And I wanted to let you know that there are only 16 spots left in our nine-week Burnout to Balance group coaching track beginning April 13th. Burnout is something we all experience at one point or another, whether you're a parent, business owner, head of a company, or key team member. Burnout is real and can happen more often than not if we don't become carefully aware of the emotions and actions that lead us there. Understanding how to best operate for our unique personalities and being able to recognize the signs our bodies give us to slow down can help you overcome and avoid burnout altogether. You guessed it. We're going to be showing you how to use the Enneagram to do just that. Several people have asked, do I have to be in active burnout to join? No. In fact, we welcome those who aren't in active burnout and want to add strategies to their growth toolkit to avoid it in the future. To learn more about this group coaching track, go to www.theartofgrowth.org slash burnout dash group dash coaching. This link will also be in the show notes. We hope to see you there. Thank you, Hillary. Now let's listen to our next caller. This is Sheila. I am a type nine. If I could go back for one moment in uh, my life, that would be when I graduated high school. It was a crossroad, leaving high school and going to the next step with the person who did not know herself and neither did anyone else know me, left me undirected. If I knew myself then or my personality, it would have given me direction. And the direction of my life would have been totally different. I think about that often. Sheila, thank you so much. You used a couple words in there that I want to zoom in on. This is a good jumping off point because there was a certain vagueness to it. It wasn't like the specific thing. I made this decision. I should have this. But you used a couple key words that I think are really important. You used the word undirected. I was undirected. And I think there's something really powerful about that. But there's also you use the phrase like, I didn't know me and other people didn't know me either. And I want to start with a point of grace for that because I think not just nines, a lot of types, but there's a lot of conversation around this idea that I need to know myself as if there was a version of me that was, I could know. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think that that's the way we are. I think who we are is a creative act, number one. Mm -hmm. We are being, we are constantly creating who we are. It is a journey of not just co-creation, but discovery, discovering who I am. And it's a it's an exploration. So I don't think of anyone as being a fixed thing that you have to figure it out, know what I am. Mm-hmm. Who we are is very open, and we get to create a person. We're not trying to discover something that 
already exists if we could just sort of find it. Do you know what I mean? Because I feel like this is something I hear a lot from people. Like, I just need to like know what I want or know this thing as if, as if there was a fixed thing to discover mm-hmm. instead of an exploration to go on in order to co-create something. Yeah. You know, there's a, the two metaphors that come to mind is one is, is a machinery uh, kind of metaphor. The other one's more organic. Mm. And, and the metaphor for machinery is, is components and parts. All right. And so there's an inventory yeah. and you can name every single part. So we just uh, purchased a, some kind of um, shelving unit and it had in there all sorts of parts. It's got the you know, list of screws by size, names, all this stuff. So you've got the entire thing laid out as inventories with specific parts that belong, that all come together and form this the shape of this thing. And our identity can be viewed somewhat that way. Like I just didn't know all mm. the in, all the parts that make me up, as if they're fixed, as you're as you're saying. Or we can look at ourselves as a seed. We can look at ourselves as a as an acorn. You know, and so you look at the acorn and you think, what is this? Well, it's definitely an acorn and not, let's see, a, uh, a, a, a tomato seed. Yeah. Right? There's a difference and we can tell that. And I think that there are parts of who we are that are distinct as we come out of the womb. Sure. That definitely are different than maybe our sibling. And there's an attention and there's an interest and there's, uh, you start to pick up on certain maybe talents or abilities or, you know, at least, at very least, as I said earlier, Desires, interests. Desires, yeah. For sure. Yeah. And uh, and part of it is catching ourselves in that or having, you know, we're too young for that. So it's really about, you know, our parents, our guardians, our teachers, our coaches, picking that up and pointing that out. But I think that the the identity is very much shaped in the formation of the environment plus the genetic material of that seed. Mm. And that's the conversation that shapes and forms us. And we don't know what that is until we're actually in the environment, being part of this world, having that conversation that then helps to shape who who we are becoming. So the identity is one thing that is ever shaping and forming, Mm. but there's also certain core materials that are the things of our interests, our passions, you know, our dislikes, all of that. Yeah. Well, maybe there's also this thing about, I should know it early on. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a whole thing. I always feel like it's a terrible question to ask a 19-year-old, what do you want to do with your life? A much better question is, what do you want to do next? I just feel like that's a better question because, yes, there is something that is core, that is there, that you are, you are who you are. But the discovery of it is just as important as anything. Mm-hmm. You know, and none of us knows who we are at 20. No, none of us can predict at 20 who we're going to want to be at 60. Mm-hmm. You know, there may be a bunch of twists and turns in there. Like, I've definitely known a couple of people who they knew what they wanted to be when they were like 13 years old and they're doing it now and loving it. I mean, a couple. Yeah. You know, ever. But for the most part, yeah, I think that you don't have to know yeah. So early on. And I think the ex- putting the expectation on people, they should. But I really like your, you know, d- that division between the mechanism and the more of a gardening something sense. Because uh, a mechanism is something that's either fixed. Oh, yeah. It's, it's either working or, yeah, working or it's or broken. Working. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and maybe this came along with the mechanism 
uh, industrial revolution. Oh, and, totally. And that's mechanizing where the everything. Is. Yes, yes. Maybe that's where we started thinking more like this. Yep. That our technology actually informs identity in a sense, yep. and so we can look at ourselves as a machine that's supposed to perform a specific task, uh, and then we are supposed to guard it and make sure it doesn't break. Uh, make sure that we get, we bring all the components in to build that thing and then make it run. And then we have to make sure we keep it running. And I think we do kind of look at our lives that way yeah. as opposed to being like, this is a garden that's ever-changing, ever-growing. The seasons are going to affect it. Where it's planted, yeah, certain things grow better in this soil. You yeah. know, if we're in here in New England versus, you know, Florida, very different things are going to grow. And letting our lives be more reflective of the environment we're actually in, I think mm-hmm. is a really helpful metaphor to kind of do this dichotomy of being like, well, what, what are you? Yeah. <laughs> You're not a machine. So let's be a little less ambiguous and... What? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Because I love the ambiguity. I love, I love the sort make of like... concrete, yeah. How you concrete, yeah. Not, the, yeah. The, right. I think to maybe address this a little bit more directly is... I have a passion for this as a coach is helping people capture and catch early on in life, you know, um, or now, whatever the age they are. Mm -hmm. What is it that I'm, that is emerging in me? So much more like the, the garden imagery, like what is growing in me? And what are my natural interests? And what are my natural abilities and talents? Like, those are all part of the conversation. They're not in any of them by themselves are not the, the, the end all be all. They're not the, the single indication of what it is that you're supposed to be doing. So at 19 years old, you might have an interest that is suggestive of engineering, or you might have an interest that's suggestive of the humanities. That's, a, that's a, an indication, yeah. but it's not everything. So at very least, Sheila, you're... Uh, I think your reflections are really important for us to think about because to know what it is that we actually have interests in uh, early on in life that we cannot even notice uh, natural abilities, natural liens mm. that we don't even pick up on, but other people can see that. Mm. And if they could say to us, hey, look, you know, uh, I know that uh, you could make money at something. I know that that would please mom and dad. I know that yeah, all that. I understand that. But here's what we notice in you and we pick up on you. You're very interested in this. Mm. You keep talking about this. Whenever we hang out, the attention of your, you know, the conversation tends to go in this direction or that direction. And even when you're just sort of being like merging with the rest of us and you don't really want to say any, you're kind of flowing with the conversation. What you end up doing when you're away from us, this is what you end up doing. And these are the books you end up reading. And these are the shows you're watching. They're they're indicating something. Yeah. You know, yeah. So And it'd be really great. And I think a lot of people don't have those kinds of relationships. That's true. Where yeah. people like yeah. who who call that stuff out. Yeah. Like if you do, like that is an incredible gift. Yeah, you, yeah, you're lucky. Um yeah. at this point we would normally like play another call from someone else. But here's the thing is we got so many calls <laughs> from nines yeah. with almost a, a, the same story. Yeah. Which was early on. There was a a point where I needed to choose a trajectory of my life. I didn't know what I wanted. Someone else set me on a path. Yeah. I went along with it. And now I wish. Right, right, right. I would have done something different. Yeah, yeah. That 
narrative showed up in so many different calls that we got. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I could just play them all back to back if I oh, we man. won't. But it, yeah, um, it's that story seems to be so core to the nine. Yeah, and I wonder if like so many nines, if we just did it, just call in and leave that story. How many nines would have a very similar story to that? Because mm-hmm. um, that was the thing that surprised us. We responded to the first couple. We got more and more into the calls, listening to more and more calls. We're going. There's a. This is the theme. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what do you make of that? Yeah. I know so many nines that I'm now coach a bunch of them that are, that's, that's their story too. So yeah. yeah, it is interesting that that is a common theme among a lot of nines. Yeah. What should they do now? Yeah. <laughs> with that story? Yeah. We can get stuck in the past. I mean, this whole time thing, right? It's like past people that get stuck in the past, people that get stuck in the future, people that are so like myopically present focused that they can't, they don't bring in the, the, the learnings from the past or anticipate the future in a, in a, in a healthy way. So because of that, if we're doing our best, we're going to the past, reflecting on it, thinking about the future and planning accordingly, but engaging in the present to do something now. Yeah. Because we have the because that's the power that we have. That's the responsibility we have is we can change now. We can't mm-hmm. change the past. We can't affect the future. We can affect the future by how we live now. Yeah. So, okay, so that's what I would suggest to nines now is yes, you reflect and you learn and you look at what you've done in the past, but you look more deeply and what you what I mean by that is you recognize the type and you recognize the vice and you recognize the virtue and you see how those the, that's always playing itself out. And, and we've talked about this in our model for coaching and group coaching as well. As you start at self-knowledge, which is yeah. reflective, I look at the, ba- at the past, I see how my core motivation showed up and my patterns showed up early on. I mm-hmm. see that. And then you move to self-observation. Can I see myself doing that right now? Mm-hmm. Because that's the point where you can interrupt certain cycles yeah. and begin to develop and author, really, your future, right? So right. that is where I would say to nines is, can you see where, the, where that was taken? The core motivation was, was playing itself out in your early life. And do you see that as it's happening in this moment? Because right. if you can, then that's what memories are doing. They're actually saying to you, learn, right? Mm. Because otherwise, you're just going to keep repeating that cycle. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so the memories keep coming back until... You have passed the test, <laughs> you know, meaning like, okay, in this moment, do I see how my desire to avoid conflict, my desire to avoid discomfort, disconnection is actually driving me away from my own desires, my own yeah. thoughts, my own feelings. And can I make a decision that's different today? Yeah. And as you make a different decision, a small one, and you build on those small ones, then those memories are still going to be there, but they're, gonna, they're not going to have the power they did over right. your life. I do wonder that. And I would really be curious to hear from nines on that to say, so if you've learned to stop merging, does that help you make peace with your own history? Yeah, that's it. That's a great question. And I wonder if it's, again, the, the, the desire for integration. Like I think our memories are speaking to us. Yeah. Story of quote-unquote failure, you know, (laughs) can that story be redeemed in some way Mm. by a new way of living today? Ultimately, when it comes to the past, I can't change the past, but I can redeem it. 
Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's what I mean. And, and that's, a, I think that that's beautiful. Yeah. Because then it stops being a thing of like, I wish I didn't to, right. isn't this beautiful? Like, this is where I began and here's where I'm at today. And I can love my story. Yeah. It is interesting for nines though, that it is very much around an action taken. Yeah. You know, it, it had to do about a trajectory of life. It's, I took an action that other people spoke into and I wish I wouldn't have taken that action. Because, you know, for other people, they take action without actually consulting enough other people. And if yeah. they would have included some other voices of wisdom, they probably would have been able to make a better and more informed decision. So I think some people err on one side, some yeah, on the other. 100%. You yes, know, yes. I, I like had to learn to incorporate and include a lot mm. more mm. other voices and then use the wisdom of those. But I also have to come to my own. And that's what we say for the nine, you have to do the return. So take in all that yeah. and then come back and return to yourself and sit and listen to your own body. Yeah. And is there confirmation or is there this little voice that goes, not this? Yeah. Yeah. Because you have it. There is inner wisdom in the nine that will say, not this. Because I've talked to so many nines who, who've said, oh, I don't really know what I want to do, but I know what I don't want to do. Yeah, that's where so, it begins for a lot of them. It does. And yeah. so that when someone is pushing a decision on you, if you can go sit with your body and say, listen for the not this. Because mm -hmm. you might hear, yeah, that's okay. That's okay for now. Mm -hmm. And you might hear not this. Mm -hmm. And regardless what you choose, go, I made the best decision mm -hmm. that I could at the time with where I was, who I was at the time, what I knew at the time, who was with me at the time. Mm -hmm. And I think you can honor the person who made that decision at that time. Yeah. But maybe before getting to the point of grace for yourself, you may have to actually become angry. And mm. here's why. The pattern of the nine is to, is to the defense pattern, is to narcotize. Right. And narcotization happens in various ways. There's we an endless number right. of ways to narcotize. Yeah. I can narcotize by watching endless amounts of TV, Netflix, whatever. I can narcotize by working like a dog. I can narcotize by rationalizations, like thinking about, well, maybe they didn't mean this. And maybe if I had done this, and maybe I've had taken a different path, right? right. And that endless loop of constantly thinking about, well, if I'd done something different, if I'd done something different, if I'd, okay, get angry. Yeah. Get angry. Hmm. Because good. the anger is not about, well, I shouldn't be angry because they were trying to help. No, 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 no. That's not, that's, that's a justification. That's a trying to rationalize. That's trying to ex explain. That's, don't do that. Become angry without judgment. Like, I'm angry. Why are you angry? Because I, took a path that really wasn't mine to take and and that's it, right? So be angry about that. And then that awakens the heart more. And so then the heart says, there's other things I want to tell you about. I want to talk about my desires. Yeah. But anger is so important for the nine to get a hold of in order to really get to what does my heart really want? Yeah, but I do concern about the direction of the anger because it's so easy in that space to scapegoat the person who gave you the advice. Well, that's it. We're, that's our temptation is to actually put the anger 
and to make either, either to judge, which a lot of nines won't do that. What they'll do is they'll kind of narcotize and rationalize and try to see all sides. And, and it, it brings the dial down on anger, mm. but it keeps anger there. Whereas finally expressing the anger of, there's an injustice on my heart. Mm. Not blaming somebody or giving them a pass. It is the, I am hurting because I didn't move in the direction that was mine to, to move in. And because of that, I've lost years. I've lost time. That's the anger. And be angry yeah. about that. Yeah. And we want a direct object. We do. We want to be able to name, that's the source of my anger. We yeah. want a scapegoat. We want to be able to put it on something. Someone. And I think, or on someone, right? Yeah. So this is where you say, no, you, you do need to be angry that you're, because your heart wants to be angry. I'm angry because this didn't happen for me. Mm. And at first you will have, you may want to have some external reasons for that, like parents, you know, teachers, other influencers, husband, wife, whatever, partner, will have reasons, will have names and, and notice as you do that and then come back to, okay, yes, but it's still because I didn't get to experience this. That's what makes yeah. me angry. And the expression of that will allow your heart to wake up more. So for nines, oftentimes that's the starting point is anger. And then it awakens the heart to sadness, to to shame and to other emotions yeah. that are oftentimes not experienced or expressed. Sometimes to grief. Like that's grief, a, it's a absolutely. grief process yeah, to walk yeah. through that. Yeah. yeah. And so what we say to all types in terms of following your own sense of calling and purpose and you know what it is that you want to do in life, the heart has desire and has ambition and has passion. The body is a great executor and it knows when and what. Like it's yeah. like not this, that, right? Yeah. But the head is really where the planning can take place. So you, you listen to the heart's desire and you lead to, need to have this conversation. What does my heart want? What do I desire? What do I love? What do I dislike? What is it that my body is telling me, gut sense that's confirming this is the right action to take? And how do I plan all of that with my head? What are the options? What are the possibilities? What am I leaving out? And that conversation is, is an internal one that helps you to become better at being responsible for your own life, making your own decisions that are not outside of community. It's very mm. much within the conversation uh, with other people. Yeah. Awesome. So thank you so much for listening and such great stuff comes out of these seasons. This is a free podcast, folks. And so it really helps this little niche corner of the world that we are interested in that is spreading, but it's uh, still relatively small in the grand scheme of things. So anything you can do to help out the art of growth is wonderful, whether it's uh, leaving us a review on iTunes to help people find the show or following our new YouTube channel, which we just opened, or following us on Instagram at Art of Growth. All of it helps. And of course, the best thing is to share with others the things that are impacting you. We have never actually had to do any paid promotion because it's always come through word of mouth. And we hope that's the case, that y'all continue to share the things that are useful to you with others. But for right now, my friends, integrate the nine within us and learn from the stories, but make peace with our own history. Make peace with the decisions we made that were the best we could at the time. Make peace with your own evolution and your own change. 
come into harmony with your own story and you will become a more integrated person. Grace and growth, my friends.